The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today I'm excited to have my friend Joseph Lento, who's a dedicated teacher of music and a music maestro and a guy who masters instruments, and he's slick too. And he's going to tell you all about all his awards he won and everything else. Joseph, welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. I'm honored to be in such esteemed company. Thank you very, very much. And um, <clears throat> as uh, we've discussed, uh, you wanted to talk about you know testing and and the different types of styles of teaching and, and assessments that go into uh, our world of education and how it affects neurodiversity. Well, yes, because as you know better than I, all of our brains are different. And you've taken teaching and special education and music to a different level. So tell us about it. Well, uh, I'm not sure if I, well, thank you very much. Um, I just try to pass on information the best way, best way I know how. <clears throat> and over the years, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to use my, um, let's say, creative brain as a, as a musician in teaching. Um, you know, when I first started many, many years ago, 1984, um, my first job was teaching uh, global studies to special education students because I have a minor in history and because there weren't many music jobs. So um, I began incorporating what I knew as a musician instinctively to try and reach the, uh, the students with special needs. And it was uh, quite a ride and a lot of fun. And um, that's my starting point for the rest of my career. Well, good. And you know, you grasped early on that you can't fit a square peg in a round hole. No, no, it's not possible. Elaborate no. on that. Well, you know, one of the things I, I'd like to say before I, I forget, and, you know, we get involved in our conversation is that the things that we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to mention, is in no way, shape or form meant to, you know, impugn our fantastic educators or our system, um, because they do incredible work. Um, but what we want to do is we want to just kind of bring some awareness to the different types of education models, both learning, teaching, and assessing students, which I've been very, very fortunate, fortunate over the years to have experienced firsthand. And um, I, I hope that during the episode, I, I don't be, I'm not one of these I guys, which is, you know, I did this, I did that. I, if I mention something, it's only because of, I want other people to say, well, I I'm, will consider listening to him because he's done what I've done and implemented it. So as I mentioned certain things, it's only for that purpose and that purpose alone to, you know, so they might give a reason to consider listening to some of the things I have to say. Yeah, I know that ego is not your problem, Joseph. So you don't have to give the disclaimers. Get right into it, for instance why you think that standardized testing, which is one size fits all, doesn't work for all of our different brains. 
Well, it, it, it's it's evident in the fact that um, the disparity in results. Um, and you as a medical doctor know that if you're um, assessing a patient and something comes up that doesn't seem right, you have a series of other diagnostic tools that you use to say, does the patient need surgery? Does the patient need this? Are they really that? I don't see it that way. The test says, yes, let's try something different. In education, we really don't do that. You know, we, we grade people, you're a 65, you're a 55, you're an 85, you know, whatever it might be. That doesn't tell us much about anything. And, and I've seen this firsthand. Um, as a musician, if I'm doing something and it's not working, I don't keep doing the same thing. I try something different. In education, if we have a student who's a who's always around 65 or 70, we don't really look further into why that is. We might say, well, they might have a reading issue. They might have a, a mathematic issue. They might have some sort of processing issue, but they don't really get into what is it? What's an alternative? How can we you know, treat this student so we can get those grades up? We tend to give them more of the same things, and that depends on who the practitioner is. So if I might make this segue into an analogy of medicine and education, teachers and doctors, um, and I think it's fair to say that in any profession, people see things a certain way, and that's the way they practice. In teaching, we have basically four types of educators, and there, there are more subcategories, but you basically have a perennialist, someone who focuses in on what has been, teach that, and not what might be. You have an essentialist, a person who says, students must know this, this, and this, so they can be successful. You have a progressive who kind of looks at the whole child and a little bit of the other components, and then you have a reconstructionist, someone who wants to tear everything apart and not always with a clear picture. Um, all of those are good, but in education, we can't afford to be just one. We need people to incorporate a little bit of everything and we don't get that. That's a problem. And you know, with these different types of uh, teaching styles, we have assessments that follow. So basically, if you're um, an essentialist, you're gonna give a lot of formative assessments, you know, little quizzes, longer tests, different types of uh, uh, tests along the way so you can constantly measure what's going on. But are you really measuring? We're not so sure. You'll have um, the perennialist who'll give a big midterm and a big final, and um, you know, they're more of a summative assessment. Reconstructionists and, and progressives might use um, subjective things. What do you think this means to you? But the problem is they often have a predetermined notion themselves of what that means for the students. So even then, you really can't get a grasp if you're not thinking the way the teacher is thinking. Tell us what's wrong with the SATs. They're a one-size-fits-all test. And it's very difficult to have someone who expresses themselves 
verbally. You, you know, Dr. Reitman, interestingly enough, and we may have mentioned this before, all tests used to be oral. It wasn't until the mid 1800s where tests began to be written. And that was only because um, the, um, the people and, you know, in charge of education wanted to actually test the teachers themselves. Horace Mann was the leading advocate for that. So before, you, a lot of things were conversations with people. And we've completely lost all that, that altogether. So that's not even a component of it. There's, there's no way for a person who learns differently to be able to completely express themselves on an SAT. So you don't get the full picture. Can you talk a bit about the importance of testing versus observational assessments? That's a very good question. Um, we are a society that talks about things like observing different modalities, but they still want a bottom line. They want to know, are you an 85? Are you a 90? Are you a 95? So observing a student, as opposed to people having a physical test in their hand, it are two different things. It takes a very skilled person to know what they're looking for if you're going to observe a student for academic rigor. You have to know what questions to ask and you have to know in what way to ask them. Now, some people might say, you know, Joseph, that's an awful lot of trouble to go through to see if someone knows what one plus three is, but not if you want the answer, it's not. So now you've done an assessment on a child, right? Or a student. And, um, it shows learning differences. So what do teachers and schools do to help that student thrive? Every teacher, every school has a different philosophy. And I'm not knocking it. It's really hard work to teach, to teach really hard. And I can't commend my colleagues enough. Um, they're going to do what their training has been. So most of the training is give more of the same in the same way. Maybe they might try to stretch it out a little bit differently, um, but it's more of the same to produce the outcome that is wanted. It's not really different. It's just more of the same over a longer period of time or over a longer period of time and even more with more attention to it. Now, I've had the honor of speaking to some of your classes and what great kids, what a great bunch of students. Thank you. you. Have. What is your impression of the next generation's opinions about neurodiversity? Um, that's another great question. And at, at uh, Maria Regina High School where I'm teaching, as you know, I'm teaching developmental psychology. So, we do a lot of work and I spend a lot of time with them on the scientific method, trying to uh, show them how the brain might work in terms of logic. And they are now becoming more and more aware through our discussions and the specific curriculum I'm doing with them that there is more than one way to think. And many times they'll say to me, you know, Mr. Lento, 
I really enjoy this because I've never had it presented to me in this way. Um, I might have three or four different groups working and the students in those different groups are working according to the learning modality that's best for them. Because if the answer is I want them to know or you know, there's a, a certain standard that they must know in order to complete a course, does it really matter how I get that information to them if they learn it? We have to become comfortable with other people learning differently than we do. And we're still not there yet. We're not there yet. It's like, you really, you can, you're teaching that way. That's not the way you should teach it. Why not when the results are really good? So how do we get better at it? Being more open-minded, giving people opportunities in the arts, music, especially opening up their horizons in that way and actually showing them that it works. There's more, more ways than one to make something happen. But in fairness to administration and teacher across the country, they have an overarching weight that says you must produce this or you're going to be rated unfavorably. So they do have a lot of constraints on them and fears. So there's a lot of apprehension. If we can somehow get to the higher ups and have them kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit and let teachers be more creative, we would get more um, open-mindedness and eventually change the way um, in which teachers implement instruction. What changes would you like to see in the curriculum that the teachers themselves get in their education to become teachers? Um, having gone through, you know, uh, all the, the ed courses, and then, of course, as a school district administrator, you have to take an even more overarching set of coursework. I'd like it to be less um, talk, more practical application. There's a lot of theory. And education is not a theory. It's, it's teaching facts, teaching things that are, or no teaching things that might be. So there should be more in, in the teaching colleges, more open-mindedness, more of the Socratic method, more intellectual universal standards, learning how to question, understanding how to present questions and design questions. There's just simply not enough of that. And I've taught every grade from pre-K through 12. And I've taught, you know, history, psychology, English, different subjects. And there's always that overarching, we want this one specific outcome. We all want the students to be great, but how we go about it really should be something that benefits the students. And the teachers need to have less pressure on them to produce that bottom line in that way. Before I ask the next question, I just want to remind our audience that you've received the Presidential Proclamation as a National Teacher of Arts and Humanities from President Barack Obama. You'd also receive commendations from our previous presidents as well, President Carter, both President Bush's High School Teacher of the Year 1998. So you've 
you, I want our audience to know that you are a leader in addition to all of your other, what I'm going to call for lack of a better term, side jobs, which are not side jobs as a musician and a professional band leader and so forth. So you have a unique vantage point because you have an overarching holistic view having been noted by the presidents of our country. And we're not just talking about one kind of education. We're not just talking about special education. We're talking about the whole ball of wax, okay? And if you could wrap for us, the college level, the high school level, the elementary school level, and everything in between, Talk about the commonalities there as regards making sure that the differences are recognized. Um, thank you, Dr. Reitman. That's one of the best questions I've ever been asked. And the simple answer is <clears throat> there is invariably a disconnect on each of those levels. There isn't an overarching um, design. Elementary school, is completely different than middle school, middle school from high school and high school from college. Um, in our elementary schools, up until the third grade, students and teachers really engage in, in more of a, a Montessori approach and more of an open-ended approach exploration. But then we start to cut that off about the fourth grade. And you know, and I don't know why, but they do. And then by the time you get to middle school, it's sort of a mini preparation for high school, but it's at an age where children are often most conflicted. They're leaving the earlier stages and getting ready to go into the later stages, and they need really special attention there. Um, you'll hear teachers talk about middle schools being very, very difficult time because of that push and pull. High school, then you're thrown into a situation where it's essentially, um, and, and not where I teach, um, every person for themselves. You're now just, you're on your own completely. And then the college, there's even less supervision, less interaction. There's no overarching connection. And I'm, it, you know, we realize that, you obviously realize it with that great question, why don't we address it? And I think the answer comes down to there are, education is a business and there's a business model set up for it. And the business model is books, test prep, et cetera. And that's the way it's designed. I dare say, while it has its place, it doesn't represent all the students and it doesn't do the best service for our kids either. How have the advances in modern technology and internet affected your efforts as a teacher and your method? Has it been positive, negative, neutral? What's changed? When I first started, thank you for that question, I was taught in what was called the uh, developmental style, um, where you had a, a motivation for the students. You had a, a series of questions, you had summaries, you had an, a wrap up, an ending. 
very neat package allowed for creativity and, and so on. Um, with the advent of all this technology, specifically the Google Classroom, it has been such a benefit for me. And I think for my students, because now I'm able to put together these really complete and often complex lessons in a, uh, in a digital document, photos, um, music links, lecture links, uh, you name it, where a student can now go in and access everything after the fact and go over everything we went in class, we did in class. So now my students can concentrate really on what we're doing in that moment. And then they can always go back if they miss something. They're not taking notes in the class. Everything is interactive. We're always talking. They're always talking with each other. So the advent of technology for me, as I've been able to use it, has been phenomenal. And I and the girls tell me they they love it. They can go back and find every single thing we spoke about and more just like that. So I'm really pleased about it. And they can choose the mode from which they learn best, whether it's audio or the written word or the visual presentation. In every lesson, I put all the modalities in. It's very rare that I don't have a YouTube link, um, a, you know, a lecture link, whatever I'm teaching. There's the words, there are the quotes, there's the YouTube link, the audio, the video. Everything is there for whatever they learn best. And, you know, if we want students to get the right answer, give it to them. Whatever it takes, there's, there's no rule that says, well, you, if you don't listen to Joseph droning away for 40 minutes and don't remember, you know, um, something, that, that you're not a good student. That, that's not the way it has to work. If I want them to know something, give it to them. What are we hiding? And why are we often making it such a, a struggle to get that information? And I understand about critical thinking and learning to figure things out. It can be done. It can be done. And if you just incorporate these different modalities, uh, for instance, if they go back to the Google Classroom, they're going to figure out which thing they need to see. So isn't that learning how to process information? Of course it is. And what you've just said that I really believe so much, these things are not mutually exclusive. Yes. They are inclusive. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, I think it's so simple. Um, and, and I often, you know, see, you know, people struggling with certain things um, to learn something. Why? When there are so many different ways to learn it. You know, I, I teach here you know, private students in my home, home studio. And whatever I need to explain or however I need to explain it. Um, for instance, I, have a, I had a student. Um, and this is not the student who I gave yesterday. But if you might see this, this is a trumpet fingering chart. And um, this is a different type of fingering chart. Usually it has the name of the note. And it might have three little circles on the bottom where it, it colors in the ones that have to be pressed down. Here, it actually shows you which ones. Why can't we do that for everything? It's there. What's the struggle? It's so simple. And that's the way I teach. Find what, 
find the answer and give it to them in the way they understand it. Well, you make good sense. And if I might just share one thing with my colleagues, <clears throat> try to remember our students don't learn the way we learn. <clears throat> they don't understand things the way we do. Sure, some might, but try and remove ourselves from it. And, and what we do doesn't matter. How I go about editing a paper doesn't matter. That's not for me to force on someone. It's for me to get them to understand what the standard is and take my own process and put it on the side, please. And focus on what the student needs. That's what's important. How can people learn more about you and your work? Well, um, if anyone's interested in um, anything I've had to say, of course they can find me on, on differentbrains.org. Um, there are other um, outlets I, I'm on regularly. I was just on Spectrum Cable in New York City on the uh, great uh, Heart of New York show with Angela and Peter Hart. It's on YouTube. Um, lots of segments there on many different subjects um, that we've talked about over the last six or seven years, um, various articles and so on. But if anybody wants to reach me, um, <clears throat> free of charge, they can simply reach me. Um, may I give my email? Yes, please give your email and any contact information you'd like to share. Thank you. Um, they can simply reach me at uh, JSL Maestro, M-A-E-S-T-R-O at gmail.com. That's JSL Maestro at gmail.com. And I'm happy to share information, answer questions, you know, help in any way I can and hopefully learn something from you too. Maybe you've got something. I I'm sure you have things that you can teach me. Um, I'm open all the time for that. Well, Joseph, is there anything else we have not covered that you would like to cover today? Um, well, if I might, have fun. I understand so many of our educators are in challenging situations. I know firsthand. I've been in, in 39 years, I've been in the most challenging and rewarding environments. Students in all types of needs, distress, um, have fun with it. They can, most of the time, you might be the only bright light in their day. Smile for them, spread a cheerful word, be encouraging. That means more than anything. And it'll help you be positive too and make us all happy. So that's what I have to, a little bit of advice. Well, Joseph Lento, it's been a pleasure to have you here yet again on Exploring Different Brains. Keep up your great work in education and in leading us and in philosophizing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.